Welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. There are only a handful of things that are certain in this life, and one of them is that we each get 24 hours in the day. Some days, that feels like plenty, and we're ready for them to end sooner. On the other hand, many days, that doesn't seem like enough time. It's been estimated that around 82% of adults don't manage their time successfully. One of the main reasons for that? Unclear expectations. When we feel unsure of what to do, we're unsure of how to spend our time. That can be said for our spiritual journey as well. If we're not sure what God expects from us, then we can spend an unhealthy amount of time unsure of what to do for Him. Thankfully, the Bible provides great clarity on the matter, and we're exploring that in our current series, The Bottom Line. Let's continue the Upward Journey. Well, good morning, Upward. How are we doing today? All right. Welcome to the early service. So glad to have you with us today. Thanks so much for being here this week. Uh, in case we haven't met yet, my name is Greg. I do serve as one of the pastors here at Upward, and I get the privilege of sharing with you the third installment of our message series called The Bottom Line. I know it's been a couple of weeks here as we've been walking through these verses of Scripture, and I'm so excited to be able to share with you today. Uh, a couple of years ago, several years ago, kind of way back, uh, it came time for me. My old car was kind of getting ready to go kaput on me, and so I had to. It's time for me to go get a new car. Uh, and it wasn't gonna really going to be a new car. It was going to be a new to me car. You know what I mean? When I say new to me. Yeah, it means it had a few extra miles on there, but I had done my research. I knew a budget that I was going to have to get the car, and I started doing my research, started figuring out what kind of car I wanted. I found the car I wanted, so it was time for me to go to the dealership. Now, just kind of context, this was my first time uh, getting a chance to go to a dealership and negotiate the price as an adult for a vehicle that I was going to buy, and so I was a little bit intimidated, but I get there, and I'm walking through the process. I meet the salesman. We go out, and we take a look at the car, test drive it, do everything that you're supposed to do. The salesman's great. He's really nice. But we start going back and forth on the price a little bit. You know, here's what I can afford. Well, here's what we can get it to. And well, I can't really do that. Well, let me go talk to the manager. And we kept going back and forth. And we finally got down on a price that both of us could agree on. And everything was good and, until we went and sat down in his office. And we sit down in the office and we start going through the paperwork. And then all of a sudden, uh, there are some fees that start coming along with the process. You know, tag fees, title fees, transfer fees. Then there's the warranties that you can log on as well to the, uh, to the price of the car. And then there's gap insurance that you can throw in there. And as we're going through this process, I see the dollar signs start kind of rolling through my head. And I kind of had to take a time out, had a little pause button there and say, listen, listen, listen. Here's what I need to know. I need to know the bottom line number of what this car is going to cost me so that I can make an informed decision about whether or not I'm actually going to leave this place with this vehicle or not. You're adding on all the extra stuff. I need to know what the bottom line is because we need to know the bottom line. We need to know what's expected out of us before we can make an informed decision. You know what I mean? And so that's a little bit of what we've been kind of going through the last couple of weeks is that we've been looking at the bottom line out of what is expected of us as followers of Christ. When it comes to serving God, what is it that he expects out of us? And the nation of Israel found themselves in a position like that as well. They were kind of complaining back to God, said, you know, we don't know what you really expect out of us. What is it that you're looking for from us? And we find the answer in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah is an Old Testament prophet who God used to speak to the nation of Israel. And we find the answer, the simple solution as to what God expects out of us, out of what God requires from us to serve Him and follow Him. And we find it in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And here's the verse of Scripture that we've been looking at. The Lord has told you what is good. 
And this is what he requires of you. No question marks, no trying to fill in the blanks, no trying to read between the lines. Here is what God expects out of us. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In week one, we learned what it was, right, what it was like to do the right thing. We weren't going to look 30 steps down the road. We weren't going to look 15 steps down the road. We were going to look at the one next step that God was asking us to take, and we were going to do the next right thing. And then last week, week two, we looked at what it meant to show kindness to everybody. And then all of us had some homework when we left here last week. Everybody remember you had to leave here and go do one random act of kindness. So hopefully you got into the drive through line and you paid for somebody behind you, or maybe you let somebody merge over on I-26. Evidently not enough of you did that. <laughs> so maybe today when you leave, maybe you need to let somebody merge over in front of you. But we discovered what it was meant and what we meant by showing kindness to everybody. And today we are going to tackle that last and that third installment there of what it means to walk in humility. Now, the idea of humility sounds really good, and I think for most of us we think that's a good thought. But I don't know that we're always clear on what it means to be humble or what it means to walk in humility. It is, not, it is not about self-deprecation. It's not about putting somebody down or putting yourself down. And it's not about treating yourself badly. Humility has to do more with seeing yourself correctly and living that out. C.S. Lewis wrote it this way in his, in his writings. Here's what he said. He said, humility is this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Now, I think that most of us would sit there and say, you know what, if the world that we lived in operated this way, it'd be a much better world. We spent less time thinking about us and more time thinking about others, the world would be a great place. Hey, the church and followers of Christ, we'd be doing a lot better job if we spent less time thinking of ourselves and more time thinking about others. The problem is, is that oftentimes we fail to see how that can really operate and how we can be successful in the world that we live in because the world that we live in doesn't really celebrate those who walk in humility. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to tell you about how humble I am. <laughs> a little bit contradictory there. A little bit doesn't, doesn't work out there. But you think about it. In the world and the society that, li that we live in, we are told and taught oftentimes that we have to keep the focus on ourselves or otherwise we won't be successful. Doesn't matter who you step on, doesn't matter what you have to do, as long as the ends justify the means, everything will be okay. We're taught to look out for ourselves because if we don't, no one else will. I was listening to a leadership podcast earlier this week, and the guest that was inter being interviewed said it this way for himself. He said, if I don't, if I don't toot my own horn, then nobody else will. And oftentimes we don't want to say that, we don't want to admit that, but oftentimes that's a little bit of how we feel. We're supposed to focus in on power and success Humility isn't really celebrated where we live. There's a constant need to appear great, to appear better than we are, that we have to keep up a reputation so that others will find us uh, enjoyable and respectful. Uh, if I don't put me first, then what chance do I have at being successful? You see, I think that for the most part, we would love the idea of walking around and walking in humility, but we don't necessarily see how that is possible in the world that we live in. The struggle with walking in humility isn't something that's new to our generation. It's not necessarily something new to the world that we live in. It's been a struggle since mankind began. Even for those who found themselves walking with Jesus, they struggled with it as well. Anybody remember that disciple named Peter? Remember that guy? 
He's kind of that, that shoot, fire, aim uh, kind of mentality, that personality there. He's the same guy who looked at Jesus and said, listen, no matter what comes against you, no matter what problems you have, no matter the enemy that comes against you, I will be right by your side. I will never leave you. I'll never walk away from you. And then less than 24 hours later, he's the guy who's denying Jesus three times. He had to go back and eat a little bit of humble pie and humble himself. But he wrote this in his letter to the church. He said this, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. That same guy wrote those words. What about James? James was the half-brother of Jesus. Imagine growing up being the half-brother of Jesus, always being compared to Jesus. Why can't you clean your room like Jesus? Why can't you do your chores like Jesus? Why can't you make good grades like Jesus? You know, James got, got tired of being compared to Jesus. But this James, did you know he did not grow up believing that Jesus was the Messiah? He, had, he, 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 he was the furthest thing from that. He constantly rejected the claim that Jesus would make about himself, that he was the Son of God. It wasn't until after the resurrection that James came to terms with the idea and said, you know what, Jesus actually was the Messiah. He actually was the Son of God. And it didn't just change that perception. It changed his life to the point that he would be a leader in the church, helping to lead the church in Jerusalem there. He wrote these words, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up in honor. These guys had their own struggle with pride, had their own struggle with walking in humility, had, had this moment of where it changed their whole perception, and then found it so important that they chose to include it in their writings that we're still reading about 2,000 years later. So perhaps this idea of walking in humility is something that we need to pay attention to, we need to get a hold of, and we need to begin to apply it to our lives. And the best place that I think that we can go and we can look at example of humility would be the life of Christ. And so what I want us to do is I want us to go to Philippians chapter 2, and I want us to look at the description that Paul gives us of Jesus himself. And the words that we're going to look at, they're oftentimes, most scholars believe that they weren't actually Paul's words, but they were a hymn uh, that everybody would have been familiar with, that it was, a, it, was a, it was some verbiage there that everybody would have jumped on board with, with the description of Jesus. And as we read these words the first time through, we're going to constantly come back at it in the remainder of our time here together. But as we read these words for the first time through, I really want you to think about what's being written, what's being said as we look at this together. So, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, is where we're going to pick up at. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, here's what he says. Though he was God, he being Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Man, those are powerful words there for you and for I to hold on to today. And as we look at these uh, statements today, as we look at these words, I believe that there's some really some standout points for us about how you and I can walk in humility. The first thing is this, I want us to go back to that beginning verse, that verse 6 right there, and look at the first four words that are there in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Here's what it says, though he was God. Stop there. Though he was God. For you and I to walk in humility, here's what we need to know. Humility requires us to remember who we are. Humility begins with us remembering who 
we are. Jesus knew exactly who he was. Paul doesn't make it, uh, doesn't, doesn't leave any room for debate, doesn't leave any room for negotiation. He tells us exactly who Jesus is. Jesus was God. Though he was God, Jesus really was God, 100% man and 100% God all at the same time. He wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a good prophet. He wasn't a famous person that got a little following going on. He wasn't social media famous or anything like that. What he was is he was 100% God, and he was confident in who he was. You and I need to have that same confidence in who we are. I am convinced that a lot of the issues that we tend to face today is a direct result of the fact that we have an identity crisis and that we don't know who we really are. We struggle with walking in humility because we don't know who we are. We struggle with being someone that we think that we're supposed to be versus trying to be somebody else, somebody that we think other people want us to be. We constantly kind of adapt who we are a little bit and try to fit into the crowd. We take different tests to try to learn more about ourselves. We, we will do different tests about our family lineage to find out more about where our families came from so that we can learn more about who we are. We're constantly driven with trying to discover more about who we are. Think about it like this. Think about when you walk up to a kid, maybe you meet them for the first time, a kid or a student. Uh, one, of the, one of the questions that we ask oftentimes is what? What do you want to be when you grow up, right? I, my kids get asked that all the time. I'll ask my kids that from time to time. If you're curious, one wants to be a teacher and one wants to be a vet or a farmer or something working with animals, all right? That's what they want to do. But there's nothing wrong with asking that question, but listen to what we say. What do you want to be? I would like to propose to you that the what isn't nearly as important as the who. Amen. We need to discover who we are. The who changes everything. Discovering who we are is vital. One of the biggest keys to being able to walk in humility is to remember who we are. The reason for that is because there is freedom in knowing who you are. Because when you know who you are, you don't spend time trying to be somebody else. When you know who you are, you don't spend time trying to be something else. When you know who you are, you don't spend time trying to live up to a different expectation. When you know who you are, you can be confident. You can walk in freedom. And the place that we find our identity often is, not the time that, is often not the place that we go first. We often try, times try to find our identity in other places, in other people. Social media, magazines, books, movies. We try to live up to those expectations instead of going to the one who created us and discovering what he says about us. The Bible has many statements about who we are and as followers of Christ that we can hold on to. Just a couple of them about what Jesus and what the Word of God declares over your life and who He calls you to be. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are God's masterpiece, that we are God's workmanship created with good works to do. 1 Peter tells us that we are chosen by God. 2 Corinthians tells us that we are a new creation in Christ, that we are the righteousness of God. John's Gospel tells us that we are loved by God. There are lists of who God calls you and who He calls you to be. I know who I am because of who God calls me. But on the flip side of that, it's just as important as we know who we are that we know who we are not. We need to know not only who we are, but you also need to know who you are not. And I know this is going to come as a shock to you, but yes, check this. We're not God. I know it's a shocker. Right? All of a sudden, you just got blown away at that point in time. Like, wow, Greg's up there throwing down stuff I ain't never heard before. We're not God. You know what that means? I don't have all the answers. 
know what that means? I'm not perfect. You know what that means is that I'm still trying to figure this thing out. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. He said, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by faith, by the faith that God has given you. The honest evaluation of myself is that I am still a work in progress. I still struggle. I don't have it all together. I have flaws. I have faults. I got an ugly side. I'm still trying to figure this thing out. And I am an imperfect person. The problem is, is that oftentimes, us as followers of Christ, we forget this aspect of it. We like to oftentimes pretend like we have it all together. We like to times try to pretend like I don't still struggle, like I don't have my issues. Or we get into the comparison game and we say, well, my issues aren't as bad as somebody else's issues, so I'm doing better than they are. Humility begins with us remembering who we are. And the difference between me and maybe somebody who's not following Christ at this moment in time is simply this, the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the difference, is that I've experienced God's grace and they yet to have had that opportunity or to make that decision. When you know who you are, it frees you to walk in humility because I'm not trying to be anybody else other than the person that God created me to be. To walk in humility, I have to remember that who I am right now, I am only that person because of who God is and what He's doing in my life. When we remember who we are, we begin this process of walking in humility, and it actually makes the rest of the stuff that we're going to talk about today a whole lot easier when we can remember who we are. Second thing is this, is that we're going to come back to verse 6 in 2 Corinthians. We're going to pick up right where we left off. He says this, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Here's what humility requires. It requires not only that we remember who we are, but humility also requires surrender. Most scholars believe that this verse of Scripture here that Paul writes for us, that it's right here is a throwback to the book of Genesis. It's a throwback to Adam and Eve. It's a throwback to their temptation that they struggled with because they were tempted to eat of the fruit because it would make them like God. Jesus wasn't like God. He was God. And He gave up everything for you and for me. He surrendered every privilege that He had to come to this earth in the form of human for you and for I. The question becomes for us, what are we willing to surrender? Or maybe the better question is, is that what are we not willing to surrender? What are we not willing to give up? I think one of the things that I feel like God's been speaking about us needing to surrender is a word that none of us are going to like, so prepare yourself for it. But it's pride. I don't struggle with pride. Okay, hold on one second. <laughs> hold on one second before we get there, all right? I think that all throughout Scripture we see that humility and pride are at odds with one another. Proverbs 11.2 says it this way, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. If humility calls for us to see ourselves correctly, then pride allows us to see ourselves incorrectly. And oftentimes it calls for us to see ourselves a little bit better and a little more puffed up than we actually are. Pride shows up in a lot of different ways, but I think a couple of the ways that it shows up, it shows up like this, I know better. I know what's best for me, so I don't need anybody else to speak to it. I know what's best for me, so I don't really need to consult God's Word on this one because this book's probably a little outdated. 
I know what's best for me, so I don't need anybody else's advice. I don't need anybody else's thoughts. I know what's best for me, so sometimes I'll know what's best for you too. Pride shows up by saying, I know better. Pride also shows up by saying, I've got this. I don't need anybody's help. I don't want to ask for anybody's help. And we like to cover it up, right? Well, I don't want to inconvenience anybody. Pride says, I can handle this thing on my own. And I can tell you that you can't because you weren't designed to do that. You weren't created to handle things on your own. Pride says, I've got this. Pride keeps the focus on me. Humility calls for us to look at other people, and pride keeps the center of my life focused on me. What happens when we become prideful is that we begin to rely more on ourselves, on our own knowledge, on our own strength, rather than being dependent upon the God who created us. Walking in humility calls for us to surrender. We surrender what we think. We surrender what we know. We, think, we surrender what we think we deserve. We surrender our pride and we submit to God. Maybe God's calling for you to surrender your pride. But maybe He's calling for you to surrender something else. Let me ask you this question. What is it that's keeping your life about you? What is it that's keeping your life about you? Maybe it's your calendar. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's the fear of losing control. Maybe it's the idea of you've got plans for the future and you don't really want God to mess those up. I get it. What is it that's keeping your life about you? What is it that God's calling for you to surrender? Humility requires us to remember who we are. It requires us to surrender. The third thing that humility requires, we go back to the verse of Scripture. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. And here's what he says next. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Don't let that word slave throw you off. It's not the slave that we might think about in our, in our modern context today. But the, word, the Greek word that's used here for slave is actually the word doulos. And Paul would use this word interchangeably all the time in his letters to the church. He would oftentimes use it as slave, but it's also, uh, he would also use it in the phrasing of servant. You see, humility requires us to serve others. Humility requires us to lay down our pride, to surrender everything, and be willing to serve others. We can go back through uh, the Gospels and see so many different instances of where Jesus laid down and he served others where he would put others first, where he would push back on what he wanted maybe in that moment in time or what he felt like he may need at that point in time, and he was willing to serve others. The time that stands out to most to me is that time when he gathered his disciples together for one last meal in the upper room before he was going to be crucified. Got them together in a room for a meal, and at a meal like this, it would have been customary for the servant in the room or the one who had the lowest stature in the room to, to take a basin of water and wash everybody's feet that had entered into the room. Unfortunately, in this moment in time, none of the disciples wanted to admit that they were the lowest one on the totem pole. They were trying to achieve greatness. They were trying to achieve success. And they didn't want to admit that they were the low one on the totem pole. So what happened was they all gathered around this table with dirty, nasty, stinky, smelly feet. Until Jesus pushed back from the table, stood up, grabbed the towel, grabbed the water, and went around and washed each one of their feet giving us this beautiful example of the way that we are supposed to serve others. It doesn't matter the position, it doesn't matter what role we play that we're called to serve. That we get this statement in Scripture that says that the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but came to serve. 
that we're willing to, if it calls for it, to lower ourselves so that we can serve others. One of the best ways that we can walk in humility is when we choose to serve others. We put ourselves in the role that allows for us to serve and that we get nothing in return. Can I tell you, that's why, one of the reasons why I love one of the values that we have here at Upward that calls for us to serve unconditionally. That we don't care who gets the credit. It ain't about somebody's name being up in lights. It certainly ain't about us making Upward great. It's about us making Jesus known. And if we can take that same posture in our everyday life, where we don't care who gets the credit, we don't care who's made known, we don't care if anybody ever knows our name, but we're willing to take the position to do whatever it takes to serve others. And it doesn't matter who the others are. Because if you remember who was in the upper room, Judas was still there. The one that Jesus knew was about to betray him, and he chose to wash his feet as well. I think we choose not to serve for a variety of different reasons. I think sometimes we'll say, you know what, my schedule's just too busy right now. I'll get to it later, but right now things aren't just good. Or maybe we just feel like we don't have anything to offer. But I think one of the reasons that we don't serve is because we don't necessarily see the impact that we're going to make or the impact that we are making when we choose to serve. And nobody's taught me more about that recently, more so than my 10-year-old daughter. Um, a couple of months ago, we had some family that had come in town, and she gets the chance to serve every single week in our children's ministry. Pastor Leanne and her team, man, they do a phenomenal job of, uh, with our children's ministry, and they've got this program where fourth and fifth graders can come to a service and attend a service, and if they want to stick around, they can, they can help volunteer in one of the rooms. And so Hope, because she's a pastor's kid, she, she's at all four services every single weekend. Um, and so she comes on service on Thursday nights, and she attends. But then on Sunday mornings, uh, she's in the nine, at 9 o'clock, she's in the two-year-old room, and at 10.15, she is in the nursery helping out with the babies. And she loves it, man. It's one of the things that she looks forward to every single week. Um, a couple months ago, we had some family come into town. And, uh, you know, we didn't want them to have to necessarily get up and want them to spend as much time with grandparents as they possibly could. And so we just told her on Saturday, I said, hey, listen, uh, you don't have to get up in the morning. Uh, you can just kind of sleep in and you can ride to church, come to the last service with your grandparents. And so she said, but wait a minute, uh, I'm not... I, that means I won't get to go into the rooms and serve. I said, yeah, but don't worry about it. It's, it it's, it's no big deal. It's one week. And guys, I kid you not, crocodile tears streaming down her cheek. Just. <clears throat> and she, she said this. My, my 10-year-old daughter says this back to me. She goes, but Dad, I'm helping those kids to know Jesus. She sits on the floor and she plays with them. <laughs> she, uh, she helps pass out uh, goldfish crackers, whatever it is that they do in those rooms. But she's gotten it. It doesn't matter what she's doing in that room. She, doesn't, she knows that what she's doing when she serves is she's helping people, helping kids to know Jesus. When we humble ourselves and we choose to serve, we're helping people to know Jesus. It doesn't matter what you ask to do. It doesn't matter the opportunity that you've been given. When you choose to serve... When you humble yourself and you serve, you're helping people to know Jesus. The last thing is this. We come to the last part of verse 8. Here's what it says. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. Humility requires that we remember who we are. It requires that we surrender. It requires that we serve others. But it also requires us to choose obedience. It requires us to obey 
I think one of the things that we oftentimes will look past and forget is that, yes, Jesus came and He was willing to die for our sins. He was willing to go to the cross, but it wasn't necessarily something He was looking forward to going to. He was in the garden right before He was going to be arrested. He was praying to the Father to the point of where He was going through this process and He was sweating drops of blood. And He prays to the Father and He says, If there's any other way, let this cup pass for me. Any other way. But not my will, but yours be done. He chose to obey. We don't always see it, but there is a blessing that we don't always see when we choose to obey. I get it. We don't like that word. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a fun word. It's not one that we jump up and we shout about and say, yeah, I can't wait to go obey. It's going to be great. Because oftentimes the things that we're asked to do are not necessarily the things that we, don't, that we want to do. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't want to do it. I understand. Choose, choose humility and obey anyways. You don't want to surrender? I get it. Choose humility and do it anyways. You don't want to forgive that person? I get it. Choose humility and do it anyways. Some of us, two weeks ago, when we were challenged to do the next right thing, we're still sitting on that. We ain't done it yet because we don't want to do it. It's difficult. It's going to be uncomfortable. But we don't like it. I get it. Choose humility and do it anyways. We don't always see the blessing that will come when we choose to obey. So what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this idea of walking in humility? I'd like to do something similar to what we did a couple of weeks ago. So I'm going to ask you if you would, right where you're sitting, if you will, to just bow your head and close your eyes. And we're going to ask a couple questions. And as we've been praying over this message this weekend, I'm believing for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So let me ask you just a few questions. Question number one. Do you know who you are? If you're going to walk in humility, do you know who you are? You know what God's Word says about you. Second question. Where in your life do you need to surrender because it's too much about you? What do you need to surrender? Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's the calendar. What is it? What is it that God's calling for you to surrender and to lay down? Third question. Who do you need to serve? Who is it that God's calling you to serve? Last question. What step of obedience do you need to take? What step of obedience is God calling you to take today?
for some of us in the room, maybe for somebody watching online today, there's a big step that we need to take. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, we are told to walk humbly with our God. We're not able to walk in true humility without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the first step in humility, the first step that we can do in walking in humility today would be for this, for us to admit that we can't do life on our own. You've tried it your way and it's not working out. To be able to humbly say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I can't do it my way anymore. I need you in my life. I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, today is your day to do that. To begin walking in humility in a relationship with Him. So if you would say, hey Greg, that's me. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out, but I would love the chance to pray for you. If you would say, hey Greg, I want to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at this morning? Let us know. Amen. Hey, maybe you're online right now. If you'll just let us know right there in the chat section. I'm saying yes to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father, right now, I believe that you, your Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts. You've made it simple for us. You've given us the bottom line. And today we are making decisions to walk in humility. Father, I pray that you would remind us of who we are. Remind us of who you have called us. Help us to surrender. Help us to serve. Help us to obey. Whatever the steps are that you're laying out for us today, I ask that you would show it to us, reveal it to us. Let us choose to walk in humility. Father, we love you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. I was thinking and praying about uh, the blessing this week. And uh, Thursday night it hit me and felt like the Holy Spirit speaking to me again about it. And so two words were really, really strong and came to mind. Worry and anxiety. And so if you're willing and you're able, I'm going to ask you if you would to lift your hands. And I would like to speak the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest is what He desires to give you today, right here in this moment. That when you leave this place today, you will walk in rest. When you lay your head down to sleep tonight, you will rest. When you get up tomorrow in every place that you set foot, this week you will go in rest. You will go with the peace that passes all understanding. Peace that the world didn't give so the world can't take it away. But the peace that only Christ gives that sustains us helps us to walk through every single trial, every single situation that we may face, that you experience His rest and you experience His peace today. I speak that over your lives. Now I commission you to go in the name of Jesus, that you may share that peace, you may share His Word, you may share His love with all of those that you come in contact with. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, have a great week. Love you so much. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.